Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry. Now, we got a packed episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking about some F1, very heavy Formula 1 episode, with a little bit of NASCAR and IndyCar thrown into the mix. So with that being said, let's get started. So it was announced that this will be the final year for Alfa Romeo driver Kimi Raikkonen. Kimi and I... Kimi Raikkonen announced this season will be his last at Formula 1, and he will retire at the end. Currently, his stats are this. The 21 wins, 103 podiums, 18 poles. His average finish throughout his career is an 8.4, and he's a 2007 world champion. Kimi Raikkonen, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated drivers in Formula 1 history. Most people, you know, they hear Kimi Raikkonen, they think of all, you know, like, oh... How he says what he wants, he has those funny bleeps, like, you know, how he won't have the drink, or when he yelled at Alfa Romeo for the five-second penalty. And people think that's all Kimi is, that's all there is to Kimi Raikkonen. But obviously with the stats I mentioned, and to go dive in a little deeper, I mean, he has the most Grand Prix starts in F1 history with 342 and counting, might I add, because we still got a couple races to go in the season. He's the last driver to win a driver's title for Ferrari. Back in 2007. And I don't know if he's too proud to have this achievement. But he has the longest winless streak in F1 history. Between his 20th win and his 21st win. Which is 113 races. Obviously the Iceman. So cool under pressure. Doesn't care about anything. I mean. It, pressure is what scares a lot of drivers. I think pressure is scared of Kimi Raikkonen. That is just how fascinating he was as a driver. I mean, especially new fans, they might think, like, what's so special about Kimi Raikkonen? He runs, like, maybe 13th or 15th every time in that Alfa Romeo. But like I said, he won Ferrari's last world driver's title. Over 20 wins in the sport. He's only the fifth driver in Formula 1 history to have 100-plus podiums. That joined, that's more than Fernando Alonso, and I believe that's even more than Ayrton Senna. So, Raikkonen, ahead of double, triple, quadruple world champions, he's put his name in the history books. And to see a driver like Kimi Raikkonen, not, you know, obviously the personality's there too, but to see a driver like him go, it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty sad day for Formula 1, so... I just want to give my little take on Kimi Raikkonen, fantastic race car driver. And even not just a Formula 1, he dabbled in some rallying, he dabbled in some NASCAR, so he didn't just stick to one lane and then call it a career. He dabbled around, he went for something else. You know, whether that was successful or not, you could say he at least tried, he did something that, honestly, most of the current Formula 1 grade, even Lewis Hamilton, probably won't do. Kimi did it. And it's going to be a sad day, and... The final lap of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix that he takes is going to be a pretty sad day for Formula 1 to see Kimi Raikkonen go. Alright, so, going keeping on to the Formula 1 topic. Actually, kind of keeping a little bit in the Ferrari theme. So, Carlos Sainz is having a fantastic first year with Ferrari. He's got two podiums, 83 and a half points, because half points and spa. And he's currently P6 in the standings, one and a half points, might add, but ahead of his teammate, Charles Leclerc. Now, I see a couple people, they've been kind of shocked. They thought that Leclerc would just handily take care of Carlos Sainz. Like, Leclerc would be like 
fifth or sixth in points of the court, and signs me like tenth or eleventh. First of all, that's not that I knew that wasn't going to happen. I knew Science was going to be basically right there with Leclerc. He wasn't just going to go there and you know instantly take a number two role. That's not the driver Carlos Signs is. If that was the case, Lando Norris would have been the number one driver in those two years because he was a groomed McLaren driver, where Signs was an outsider coming in. So people are surprised by this, by this great season that you know Carlos Signs is having. I'm not. And it took, I never was really surprised. And it took it took me a while to figure out why I was never really that surprised. And then it hit me. This quote-unquote shockingly great season that Carlos Sainz is having is not a lot of people might think about it, but Carlos Sainz has been on the hot seat since the season started. And what do I mean by that? Now, I believe he has a two-year contract with Ferrari this year and next year, I believe. But before the season even started this year, Ferrari team principal, you know, Harry Potter, you know, master planner, Matteo Bonato, he stated how in the future he would like to see Mick Schumacher in the main Ferrari team. Currently Schumacher, he drives for Haas F1, he's a teammate to Nikita Mazepin, and they're both rookies this year. And Schumacher's destroying Mazepin, but I can go on about that right that teammate battle in another episode. So Sides was already having his replacement being groomed. Because let's face it, you're not going to kick out Charles Leclerc. You gave him a contract to like 2024, 2025. He's a generational talent, so you're not going to kick him out. So obviously, everyone pointed to once he said that quote to Carlos Sainz. They're like, oh, <laughs> so Sainz is just a seat warmer. So obviously, Sainz now hearing that and probably feeling that, he's like, wow. My replacement is already, you know, in the wings. He doesn't feel like he has a long-term spot spot there, and he just got there. Again, this was before the season even started, before preseason testing. I believe even before the car launches. So, Carlos Sainz has already had that chip on the shoulder where he's like, I got to go out, I got to beat Leclerc, I got to outperform so I can show Ferrari, hey, you know, you're not just going to replace me just like that. Unless they pull a Force India. But unless they do that, signs need to show them that they can't just replace him. That he's just not going to be a one and done. So that's why he's gone out. He's just completely shocked the world, really. He's probably been the second or third best driver behind Verstappen and Lando Norris. And again, it's because he's, you know, he's already has his chip on his shoulder. Because Ferrari's basically already grooming his replacement. I mean, his replacement's currently on the grid as we speak. So, what would Science have to do to keep his seat? I think he has to beat Charles Leclerc number one. And that's the main thing. You have to beat the... He has to do to Leclerc what Leclerc did to Vettel in 2019 and 2020. He has to beat him. Because, let's be honest, like... No one was going to think that Vettel was going to get replaced by Science. If you had to choose between the two, you say Leclerc would get placed by, replaced by Science. But then Leclerc just completely outperformed Vettel in both years. So really gave Ferrari no choice but to move up for Vettel. Now I'm not even saying that Ferrari has to even go Schumacher. If you're asking me right now, I think Schumacher should stay at Haas. If he goes to Ferrari even as soon as next year, he'll probably wreck all the cars, to be frankly honest with you. So signs he has to do to Leclerc, maybe not to the extent that Leclerc did with Vettel, but he has to beat him. 
He has to beat him at least this year or the next year, which next year he probably has a better shot because of the new regulations. And he's already beating LeClaire this year. Granted, it's only by one and a half points, but I mean, assuming we don't get half points for the rest of the year, that half point could be the difference between Signs and LeClaire. So if Signs can beat Charles for either 2021 or 2022, and I'd say even convincingly, I don't think that Ferrari is going to replace him. I think ever since Vettel left, Ferrari seems to be in a better mindset. I think they're starting to work out all the kinks. They seem like a more, they seem like less of a toxic environment. I'm not saying Vettel's toxic. I just say maybe Matteo Bonato and Sebastian Vettel they just didn't really work together. You know, like kind of like Alonso to McLaren. You're, you you I'm not blaming any of that one specific you know group, but I just didn't think they worked together. I think it's the same thing with Vettel and Ferrari towards the end. So another question would be. Why would you replace signs with Mick Schumacher? Well, it's really down to three reasons, and I'm going to put them in order. Number one is his name. He's a Schumacher. You put a Schumacher back in a Ferrari. And number two, kind of goes in hand with number one, is marketing and publicity. Imagine the imagine just the publicity that Ferrari would get having a Schumacher back in the main prancing horse racing team. Uh, even if they don't even win anything, I mean, they'll have, they already have all the eyes on them, but they'll even have even more eyes on them because of that publicity. Just the name, Schumacher, and what that name means for not just Ferrari, but for Formula One. So to have him back on, a Schumacher back on the team would be extraordinary publicity marketing wise. And number three, I don't want to discount it, but driver potential. I do think that Schumacher is talented. I've been watching Mick since he was even in Formula 3. So I've been watching him since his first year in F3. So And the kid does have talent. He has a lot of talent. He takes a little bit of time to get used to a series, but once he gets his foot under the water, the dude's unstoppable. And I think that would you know, translate over to Formula 1. If he were to go to Ferrari, maybe his first year he'd struggle, but maybe in the second or third year he would start instantly clicking. So... Where does this end for Carlos Sainz? Or how will this end for Carlos Sainz? Like I said, this is going to go two ways. Number one, he's going to stay at Ferrari by outperforming Leclerc, which he's currently doing so far this year. He's got more podiums, more points. He's just been a better driver than Charles, in my opinion, this year. More consistent also. Or number two, he gets dropped by Schu- He gets dropped for Mick Schumacher at the first opportunity. So what do I mean by that? I mean, like, let's say Carlos Sainz, there's some bad publicity going on, or he and the team are gelling, or if Sainz get, gets convincingly beat by Leclerc, and I'm talking about, like, Leclerc convincingly beat Vettel, if that happens, I think Sainz is out. So, like I said, for Sainz to keep his seat, I think he's going to have to beat Leclerc. And I think he knows that, too. And that's why he's been driving just the wheels off of that Ferrari. I just think we see a more motivated Carlos Sainz that we've seen anytime. Even more motivated than his McLaren years. Even more motivated than his Renault years. Why? Because he's on the hot seat ever since he stepped into that Ferrari. Into Ferrari. So that's why I think Carlos Sainz is having such a fantastic year. Now, am I saying that if that wasn't the case, would Sainz be doing any worse? No. I think Sainz, this, Sainz is this good. 
I do think that Sainz, he's a very underrated driver, in my opinion. I think he has the means to become a world champion. And, I mean, look at look what he did at McLaren. The year after they finished, what, 6th or 7th in the standings in 2018? He finished his P6 in the standings in 2019 with, like, almost 100 points. And then, like I said, he's outperformed Lando, which now we know how good Lando can be after this year. Sides beat that. He beat him twice. And he's beating Charles Leclerc. So I do think Sides is world championship material. Like I said, so... I think if he didn't have this added pressure on him, he'd probably... If I had to make a guess, he'd probably be around the same range, like around that 6th to 8th range. But I don't think there'd be as many standout performances. People wouldn't take notice as much. Like, oh, what the hell is this? You know, I think people would be like, oh, damn, Sainz is like, you know, good sign and very solid sign. And not just, he's beating the Ferrari Golden Boy. So that's my take on Carlos Sainz and why I think he's performing so well at Ferrari. Not just because he's that good, which obviously I believe so, but because he kind of has to or else he's, I mean, like I said, he's already having his replacement being groomed as we speak. All right, so keeping on to the Formula One topic. Now, we know Formula One is a very inclusive sport. There's only 20 seats on the grid and only 10 teams on the grid. And there's plenty of young drivers in the lower series looking to grab one of those seats. Kalamila, Robert Schwartzman, you know, you can name all the Alpine Academy drivers. But, I mean, most, if not all, the seats are filled for 2022. Let's read some unconfirmed seats that I could just came up off with the top of my head. We got Alfa Romeo. Obviously, it was announced that Kimi's retiring. And we don't know what's going on with Antonio Giovinazzi, so that's two seats already. Alfa Tari, I think they're going to have one seat available because we don't know what's happening with Pierre Gasly. I think Yuki Sonoda stays. Mercedes, obviously, we don't know what's going on with Botas and George Russell. And then Williams... You know, again, with Russell and now Latifi looks like he might be on the way out. We don't know what's going to happen. So I already named off six seats, all more than a quarter of the grid. And that's a decent amount of seats, but you start thinning them out even more. What do I mean? Botas is linked to Alfa Romeo, so that's already one seat gone. Gasly looks like he's going to stay at AlphaTauri, or at least I think he stays at AlphaTauri, so that's AlphaTauri, that whole team is gone. Russell looks all but confirmed to go to Mercedes, especially after that press conference today. So Mercedes is gone. And I think Alex Albon stays with is now the whole thing with Alex Albon and Williams. So that's potentially another seat gone. So you're really looking at only realistically two to three seats left on the grid. So with all this, all these talented, promising young drivers, they got nowhere to go. So what are they going to do when, once they're done with the lower series? Well, we're seeing that right now. Alpine Academy driver Christian Lungard, he ran his first IndyCar race at the Indy Road Course for Ray Hall Letterman Land again a couple weeks ago. And like I said, he's an Alpine Academy driver. Kalamaila was just announced to race for Hunkos at Portland. He's an Alfa Romeo Reserve driver, and he's a Ferrari Academy driver. So what am I trying to say? Is that... If we're seeing a trend of... Young F1 drivers... Going to IndyCar because there's not enough seats in Formula 1. Now, do I think that's a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a good thing. And I'll get to that a little bit later. 
because this continues the trend of drivers viewing IndyCar as the next stop if they can't get to Formula One. And like I've stated in a previous video, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing to view IndyCar as, I guess, like, because that's the thing. You kind of get to the discussion of, oh, they're just viewing IndyCar as, like, underneath Formula One. I don't think that's the case. Do I think they'd rather go to Formula One? Yeah, because that's what they've been training to do their entire life. But I don't think they're going to view IndyCar as just, oh, it's just the next best thing. Because IndyCar is a lot that F1 doesn't have. The lure of the Indianapolis 500. Let's just get that out of the way. The greatest race in the world. It's, a, it's over Monaco. It's over Daytona. It's over Le Mans. Let's move on. Drivers from multiple series. You go to a Formula 1. You go to Formula 1. They're all Formula 1 drivers. You go to NASCAR. They're basically all NASCAR drivers. Throwing some dirt guys here and there. IndyCar isn't just IndyCar drivers. You got former F1 drivers. You got former NASCAR drivers. You got former supercar drivers. So it's a diversity of drivers, a diversity of different driving styles, a diversity of talent. So you can't just say, hey, I beat the best in IndyCar. You can say, hey, I beat the best that NASCAR had to offer. I had to beat the best that sports cars, the best that F1 has to offer. I beat them in this series. And you have a more variety of tracks, from ovals to road and street circuits, as opposed to F1 where they only run street and road courses. So will this trend continue is a bigger question. I think so. We're gaining more F talent for Formula 1. We're getting more F1 worthy talent. But no new seats are really opening up. Most of the seats that are being filled right now. We're starting to see the end of these one year deals. I think most of these teams are starting to realize. Who they want long term. And they're doing it for both drivers. I mean I think when Russell goes to Mercedes. Hamilton's already signed on for another three years. Russell will probably be in Mercedes for at least that long also. So Mercedes is set. Ferrari looks to be set, whether they keep signs or they bring in Schumacher and with Leclerc. Red Bull look to be set with Verstappen and Perez. Those are already the top three teams gone. McLaren, they look to be set with Ricardo and Norris. Alpine, I mean, you could say Fernando Alonso, but they look to be set with Ocon. And even then, Gasly is probably going to be waiting in the wings for that Alpine seat soon. AlphaTauri is really the only team, but that's a Red Bull junior team. So unless you've got connections to Red Bull, you, your chance of getting an AlphaTauri is slim to none. Haas, we don't know what's going on with that team. Alfa Romeo is a Ferrari Driver Academy team. So we only got like two Academy teams. That's only four seats. So where are these drivers going to go? They're going to go to IndyCar. And like I said, I think that's a great thing. It's a great thing for the drivers and a great thing for the sport. Because you get to compete in a top-level series with more diversity, not just in tracks, but also with drivers. And you get to take your game to the next level. Alright, final topic of the day. Finally getting out of the F1 style of things. We're going to head over to the NASCAR side of things, particularly in the Xfinity Series. So it was announced that Noah Gregson is going to drive for Junior Motorsports in 2022 for a fourth straight year. Now, I'm just going to get straight to the point. Noah Gregson is not a Cup Series prospect. I do not believe Noah Gregson is a Cup Series prospect. He's never been... What do I mean by this? Currently, as it stands in 2021, I do not think Noah Gregson, any Cup Series team, is looking at Noah Gregson realistically. I don't think when they look at all the young drivers, Noah Gregson probably the last person on the list, in my opinion. Let me explain why. 
Besides 2018, where he finished second in the Truck Series standings by making the Final Four, he's never been a championship favorite. And he's really never been a championship contender. Let's go off his Xfinity Series stats and his three years in Xfinity so far. In 2019, his rookie season, he, had, he went winless. He had nine top fives, 22 top tens, a 9.3 average finish. Not bad. He only led 72 laps and he finished eighth in the points. This is the same car that won the previous two titles with William Byron in 2017 and Tyler Reddick with 2019. He only got nine top fives and 72 laps led. Yikes. And he only finished eighth in points. 2020. Major improvement. Two wins. His first two wins in the series, but they came very early in the year. 17 top fives, 25 top tens. Average finish improved from 9.3 to 8.8, and he went from 72 laps led to 622. Massive jump, and he finished fifth in points. That was probably the closest we've ever seen Gregson to being a championship threat, even though he didn't win a race after Bristol. So you think, okay, he takes a massive leap from his soft, from his freshman to his sophomore year. How's he going to do in his third year, 2021? He's done worse. This is his worst year in Xfinity Series and probably his worst season since joining the top three divisions. With nine races to go in the 2021 season, so again, you know, nine races to improve. He's winless. He has eight top fives, 14 top tens. He has a 14.7 average finish. His average finish is over five positions higher than what it was in his rookie year. He's at 122 laps and he has six DNFs. And to compile onto it, he's only completed 90% of the laps all year, which is very, very low in terms of lap completion percentage. He's only led double-digit laps in four races all year, and he's only led 30-plus laps in two races. One of them being Homestead, where he arguably should have won, but I forgot who was the driver that ran out of talent that crashed into him. So you might be thinking, okay, 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 stop dogging on Gregson. He'll do better in 2022. No, he won't. <laughs> no, he won't. Cindric, Haley, and Burton, yeah, they're going to the Cup Series. So you might be thinking, okay, championship contender, 2020 champions leaving, super speedway aces leaving, consistent Harrison Burton's leaving. Is Gregson the 2022 championship favorite? No. No, he's not. I don't even think he's a top four favorite. Who's his competition? Well, let's go through who I believe are going to be the top four favorites for the championship. And I'll explain why I think they're more of a favorite than Gregson. A.J. Allmendinger. He's the current points leader. He's a he's obviously a former Cup Series driver. He has two Cup wins on his resume. Okay, that's not really fair. Justin Allgaier. He's outperformed Gregson at every season... That they've been teammates. Every scene they've been teammates, Gregson's outperformed. Or, I'm sorry, Allgaier's outperformed Gregson. Okay, but Gregson, not Gregson, but is a veteran. He's been racing in the sport for over 10 years, so that's not fair either. All right. Daniel Hemrick. I think Daniel Hemrick is more of a championship threat than Gregson. Always a top five points threat, and would have won the 2018 championship winless, but he's just that damn consistent. He's like, okay, but like, okay, 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 but who can possibly be number four? Josh Berry. I think Josh Berry is going to be more of a championship threat than Gregson. And before you call me a crazy guy, 
He has more wins than Gregson this year, and he's outperformed him in every race, and he's running a part-time schedule. So those are my four championship favorites going into 2022. So you're like, okay, we'll slot Gregson in fifth. But top five in the Xfinity Series, that's still pretty good. That should be worthy for a cup prospect, am I right? And not until you look at the drivers below him. You got Jeb Burton, who has one plate win in Xfinity, still very unproven. Brandon Jones, who at his best is an average driver, and more times than not is a disappointing driver. You got Riley Herbst, who's always a train wreck, but I can save that for a whole nother episode. You got Michael Annette, who's always a meh driver. And then you got Sam Mayer, who's going to be a rookie. So if Gregson finishes fifth, I mean, I'd hope he finishes top five. If he doesn't finish top five, I think that's pretty damn disappointing for 2022. <laughs> but the one thing I feel like Gregson lacks, in my opinion, and this is why I don't think he's on Cup Series um, team's radar, he doesn't have maturity. I don't think Gregson is mature enough to handle the Cup Series pressure. The Cup Series requires you to go from a rational to a mature driver. It requires you to have a certain level of maturity to where you can see progression clearly. That's why even though drivers like William Byron and Christopher Bell, while they struggled in their rookie years, in their sophomore years, you saw improvement. You can see that, okay, they're struggling, but you still see that they have that maturity, they have that ability to adapt, to grow, that you can see potential, you can see the future for them. I don't see that in Noah Gregson. I think he's very immature. I haven't seen his maturity really change from 2019 to 2021. At least not enough to where I think he's ready for the Cup Series. And I want to see Noah Gregson succeed. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to hate on Noah Gregson. Like, I'd like to see him succeed. You know, I'd like to see any driver succeed. But I just don't see it. I don't think Noah Gregson is, you know, like I said... There are certain, I don't think he's on the level of Brandon Jones, though, or Riley Herbst. Don't get me wrong. I think he's better than them. But I just don't think he's even ready enough to warrant, you know, even getting spotted for a Cup Series ride. He's too inconsistent. He's too immature. And I think if he were to jump into Cup Series right now, he'd get demolished like Anthony Alfredo. Like, Anthony Alfredo, I don't think he's ready for the Cup Series either. I don't think he has a maturity to be a Cup Series driver yet. And you're seeing the consequences. He's finishing 30th in points. He's easily, besides Quinn Health and Josh Balicki, the worst full-time driver. I think Gregson would have similar results, in my opinion. So, that's going to do it for this edition of the Motorsport Ministry today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, make sure to listen on Spotify. We'll have another episode probably sometime next week where we'll be discussing the playoff picture. We'll be going through race weekend rankings and all that good stuff. So thank you guys so much for tuning into the Motorsport Ministry, and we will see you next time.